We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? we got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're 3-1 and one somehow. And we got all the voters fooled, thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to the Rotowire College Football Podcast. Tate Dorsier of College Football Podcast. Nick Whalen joined, as always, by Rotowire's lead college football editor, John McKechnie. Jonathan, how's it going? It's going well, man. Uh, we're, we're doing a, a little Thursday record here uh, this week, uh, so a l- little bit closer to, to game time than, than usual, but um, let's see, went to a, a concert. I, we always talk about concerts, it seems like, but I, I went to a concert Last night, I uh, went and saw these guys, the OCs, and uh, they were unreal. So I'm still just kind of like basking in that. And, uh, you know, not only am I basking in that, but we also have like an awesome week five to uh, to get into here. But uh, how are things on your end, sir? Uh, well, from a college football perspective, terrible. Yes. I think the Wisconsin-Notre Dame game went about as badly as it could have gone. Uh, we'll, we'll dig into that in a second, but life-wise, it's good. Um, it's like 77 degrees out of nowhere here in late Whoa. September. It's going to be 84, I'm told, tomorrow, which has to be approaching the record, I would think, for October 1st uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. But yeah, things are good. Things are good. We got got a full weekend ahead. Obviously, we got Jags Bengals tonight. Yes. I could not be more psyched up for that. Uh, so, so looking forward to another good sports weekend. It's beautiful times, man. Here we go. All right, let's dive into Wisconsin-Notre Dame. Let's just get it over with. Yeah, go ahead. You know, we said last week it was it was bizarre that Wisconsin was a six-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. I, I know they were technically the home team at Soldier Field. I don't think it would have mattered where this game was played. Could have been Soldier Field. Could have been Camp Randall. Could have been, you know, Wrightstown High School in Northeast Wisconsin. Wisconsin is just not a good team. They are not a good no. team. Notre Dame didn't look like a great team for the majority of this game. Uh, if, you, if you kind of look at the quarter-by-quarter quarter breakdown, if you haven't had a chance to watch the game, you know, it looks like it was a close game, and it was. And all of a sudden, it's a 31-3 to blowout uh, just in the fourth quarter by Notre Dame, uh, which got two pick-sixes. Graham Mertz was even worse, I think, than expected. He finishes 18-41 of for 240, 
one touchdown, four picks, uh, just a, a variety of horrific overthrows. Uh, the one that stuck with me the most, you know, if, if you're on um, college football Twitter, I'm sure you saw this. It was going around where there, there was a quick out, I think on a third down, Wisconsin mm-hmm. has like a third and two, a quick out wide open. Graham Mertz is rolling right, staring at the receiver, staring at the receiver, throws it so late that the receiver has to come back across the first down line, makes the catch uh, and ends up, I think, gaining like four inches and it's fourth down. I mean, this team is terrible. It's bad in all phases. Graham Mertz is an uh, incredible bust, I think, you know, based on the expectations. Um, And I think I said this after the Penn State game too, John, but, you know, really trying to think about this rationally, not as someone who had high hopes for Graham Mertz, but he's played so badly that I don't, I don't think it's redeemable. You know, I mean, like there's, there's been some Wisconsin quarterbacks who certainly have not been impressive, but every now and then they were capable of, of stepping up and having a big game. Like he's been so bad at even the little things that, I, I, I just don't see how the situation could be salvaged and he turns into the player that a lot of people thought he could be. It, and, you know, what's going to mess with me forever is like the lasting image of of him eviscerating Illinois in his first start last year, right? It, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, now I get it. Now, like, this is what Wisconsin looks like with a five-star quarterback, like get off the tracks. And it's just been nothing but mediocre to poor to – catastrophic performances ever since then it feels like i mean the i guess uh the michigan game was pretty good last year we'll get to the, the michigan game this year here yeah. um in a minute but yeah he just he does those those things like you know from the ground up that that you need to have the, those boxes checked and he really doesn't i don't get it um that you know obviously this is a, a situation where maybe he shouldn't have gotten the the fifth star and and all the all the hype that comes with that but man yeah i this is ugly, man. I, I I can't believe that Wisconsin like that this didn't pan out. Essentially, I mean, it, not that not to say that every five star quarterback pans out, but it, it felt like that was that's kind of like the difference between you know Wisconsin and and making the playoff. At least it, during like the fourteen playoff eras, like if the if the quarterback play was better, if they could really threaten with the pass, then this would be a playoff team. And and uh, that just it still isn't the case, unfortunately. I think the most damning thing you can say about Graham Mertz is that I, I there's a very legitimate case that Wisconsin is undefeated with wins over Notre Dame and Penn State if Joel Stave or Kurt Phillips or Danny O'Brien is the quarterback. Like he is he has single-handedly lost them these games, you know, and and he was supposed to be the guy that would kind of elevate you above those those game manager types going all the way yes. back to Scott Tolzien, John Stocko, but I mean, like watching the game with some buddies on Saturday, it's like everybody's just like, I wish we had Joel Stave back. Like that that's the most damning thing you can say is that he's he's made Wisconsin wish we could go back to the dark ages of just average game manager quarterbacks. That's right. And, and uh, you know, when, when you were talking earlier, like it, I was go, kind of running through my, my Wisconsin quarterback Rolodex and it, it landed on, on Joel Stave. And it's like, yeah, oh, mm. you know, he had, he had some moments here and there. So, yeah, Mertz, you can't even say that about and um, – yeah. yeah, it's it's un, it's unfortunate, and I, I also um, I had like a, a prop on on Mertz's passing yards, and he got almost all the way there, and I bet against him, and he got almost all the way there on like a that like pop pass to Malusi that he got credit for yeah. uh, passing yards for. So I'm like extra angry at him. Yeah, the, the 240 is super misleading. Like it, it felt like he threw for 45 yards in this yeah. game. <laughs> um, five games against ranked opponents. And with Graham Burtz as a starter, he's 0-5 with 16 turnovers and two touchdowns. Holy crap. 16 turnovers. And, and some of those, I mean, if you watch the game on Saturday, some of those were just 
so bad. So but the yeah. second pick six, or no, I think it was the first one was the, you know, just how do you make that throw pick six? The second one was tipped and, you know, it wasn't a great throw, but not, not quite as much his fault, but enough of that game. We, we got to wipe the slate clean, you know, big right. game against Michigan. Wisconsin is inexplicably favored by two. Don't get that one either. Against Michigan. I, we, have we not learned our lesson with this? I, I don't understand. Um, I, I'm expecting a similar result. Honestly, I, I, I don't see uh, how, how Graham Mertz's confidence could be any lower at this point. Uh, elsewhere in week four, Alabama, all three of those teams, the top three teams in the country, they all roll. Alabama puts up 63 on Southern Miss. Georgia blanks Vanderbilt 62-0. Oregon 41-19 over Arizona. Um, before we get to, to number four, Oklahoma struggling again, needing a game-winning field goal uh, to beat West Virginia. Anything, any takeaways you know, from those top three teams? Uh, I mean, that the scoreboard tells you this, but – for that to be a conference game, the, the Georgia Vanderbilt one, and for it to look the way that it did, it was shocking. I mean, like 35-0 after the first quarter. Um, Lad McConkey made it on You Got Mossed. Uh, Lad McConkey, uh, not someone who you should be letting uh, moss you. He's not he's not terrible by any means, but, um, you know, it's like getting mossed by Hunter Renfro. And uh, mm-hmm. so that's not a great look if you're Vanderbilt. Um Jameson Williams, uh, the, the Ohio State transfer who's at Alabama, I don't have his exact numbers pulled up in front of me as far as like his yards per touch were concerned, but I believe he ran a kickback. He had one catch for an 81-yard touchdown, and uh, yeah, so every time he touched the ball, I think he scored on, on Saturday night against uh, Southern Miss, so that was impressive, even, even if he's, um, or even if it is just a, a Southern Miss opponent. Uh, Jamison Williams is is pretty nuts. Yeah, three touchdowns longer than eighty yards is, is um, that'll get you that'll get you some love on, on the Road to Wire College Football Pod, as it should. And this sets up a a really interesting uh, week five with with Ole Miss playing at Alabama. Obviously, they're still undefeated. Uh, Arkansas at Georgia. Georgia's an eighteen and a half point favorite in that game, but still, I, I think that's a lot scarier of a game uh, right now than it looked like it would be four or five weeks ago. Sure. Um, we mentioned Oklahoma. You know, I mean, they're they're the number four team in the country. They are unbeaten. It has not been an impressive road to four zero for the Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, the calls for Caleb Williams continue to get louder and louder. If I'm not wrong, Literally. Caleb Williams is from your he's from your neck of the woods, right? He, him, and I are uh, graduates of Gonzaga College High School. Yes, so oh, same um, high so school. I'm a same high school man. Yeah, so I'm wow. I'm of course a, a huge fan of his, and I'm I'm hoping that uh that when he's ready to take over, he can take over and, and do do the, a similar job as to what uh, we've come to expect from these Oklahoma quarterbacks. I, I can't believe – like, I wasn't the biggest Spencer Rattler guy in the world, but my goodness, I, I can't believe it's gotten to this point. Yeah, I mean, part of me, I can't believe it. You know, it's like – I feel like the same conversation was going on last year, and, the, you know, the narrative is just like, well, his talent's going to win out. There's so much talent around him. He'll be fine. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, I think if the NFL draft happened next week, he would still probably be a first round pick based largely on his pedigree coming out of high school and, and the town is still there, but yeah, the results on the field are just, it's, it's kind of bizarre. I mean, you look at the drive chart for Oklahoma in this game, they they marched down and get a touchdown on their opening drive. And then it's punt, punt, interception, punt, field goal, turnover on downs, field goal, field goal. And, and those field goal drives are like 10, 15 yard drives where they, they just can't finish it out. Like the big plays, I feel like we said this last week, we said it the week before the big plays that you're used to seeing from this Oklahoma offense just have not been there. 
No. And, and um, there's really no excuse for it. Right. I mean, like they, they lose Charleston Rambo fr- from that receiving core. But I mean, you could argue that that he wouldn't be playing much over any of the guys that, that are currently out there uh, right now. I mean, it, it, you know, Marvin Mims has yet to have his true breakout yet. Jaden Hazelwood's been good, not great. Mario Williams has been good. But yeah, like you're saying, like it, it just doesn't look like the Oklahoma that we've seen in years past where, you know, maybe you're not watching the OU game, but uh, you, you can expect uh, ESPN will cut over to, to another long touchdown to a wide open receiver. That's just yes. not happening for, for the Sooners right now. And, and yeah, it took uh, the, the West Virginia center, if I remember correctly, like screwing up a snap to kind of help uh, set things up for, for Oklahoma, if I remember right. So, I mean, they, they, they escaped with, with the narrow victory in that one. And, and um, you know, they, they are sitting there at four and O right now, but I mean, can you confidently say that, that this team is going to win by, by the time that the regular season's over, they will only have one loss, let, let alone two. I don't, maybe we're looking at this all wrong, John. Maybe they're just like the most clutch team ever. And all they do is win these close games. <laughs> Gotta be uh, it. No, it doesn't make me, I mean, part of me thinks that like, you know, you've already survived a game like this against Tulane. You survived kind of a game like this against Nebraska. You survived it against West Virginia. It's like, can they continue to do this? Like maybe at some point, you know, it's like they've kind of gone three and oh in games that they easily could have gone like one and two. Um, you know, maybe that builds some sort of confidence, but man, at the same time, yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard to see this team making it through, you know, a schedule that still includes Texas, you know, Baylor team that's in the top 25, Iowa state, you know, they're, they're not as tough as they looked coming into the year, but that's not an easy game. You know, Oklahoma state's undefeated. Like it's hard to see them run through, you know, the rest of this schedule unscathed. Yeah. I I don't see it happening. I think um, if they, if they were playing this week, Texas would, would definitely be favored against Oklahoma, or at least they should be. Um, yeah, I, I think that this is a this is a tougher uh, Big Twelve landscape that than maybe we envisioned for Oklahoma. So yeah, I, th- I think we got a couple. You know, even though they, they've escaped with some narrow misses thus far, I think some of those they're they're not going to be so lucky. So I, I I don't think this goes this ends particularly well. NC State over Clemson. What the heck is going on with the Clemson Tigers? Is this just the you know finally a year and you know a, kind of a cycle of losing too much talent to the NFL and, and something that you know kind of comes with the territory? Is this is this the end of the Clemson dynasty? Um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's one thing to lose to to another big time opponent, but these are the type of games we are not used to seeing Clemson lose, especially in the manner that they're losing them. I mean, it, it's not like you you have some like two star quarterback who's bridging the gap to your next guy. I mean, this is DJ Ungalele. 12 of 26, 111 passing yards against North Carolina State. It's brutal, man. It, it's like it's like they're a bunch of imposters or something. I don't understand how they're this bad when they're this talented. And, and you know, we talked about in the preseason uh, before the Georgia game is like they might lose that game because they, they don't uh, they haven't recruited at the elite, elite level along the offensive line. And that, that could sink them against Georgia. But of course, even if they lose against Georgia, They'll make the playoff. They will cruise through the rest of the regular season. No one in the ACC can even like hold their jock. It's going to be totally fine. And they they do the the weird weird game that we that we talked about last week against Georgia Tech. And then they come into this one as ten point favorites on the road, and, and you're like, mm, that that ain't right. That that definitely uh, like unless they they have a total get right game and everything resets. That this is not going to be an easy ten point win uh, for Clemson. And yeah, DJU 
12 and 26, like you said, 4.3 yards per attempt. Uh, Will Shipley gets hurt in that game. He's going to be out for a little bit. And, you, you know, you look at Clemson losing Lynn J. Dixon to the transfer portal. They lost Ches Malusi to the transfer portal, obviously, before the season. So now that, you know, what what was a, a stacked running back room is not really all that. And guys like Joe Nada and, and Frank Ladson, guys that were supposed to be total studs, are not. They're just not. Like, we're, we're far enough along into their careers to know that they are not it. Um, as far as like the, the that next great Clemson receiver is concerned, Justin Ross is still great, but there's only so much that he can do. And you lose Brian Brissy to a torn ACL. I mean, th- this is a very this season's going to be a train wreck for Clemson. Like, I think they're going to lose at least one, maybe two more games, and maybe that they, they can just throw it out of the bathwater and be, and be good again next year. That wouldn't surprise me at all. But um, I, I don't really know what the underlying problems are i've been seeing some stuff out of clemson saying that like the scheme is really archaic and, and that you know maybe tony elliott has been kind of propped up by the insane amount of talent that he's had to work with and schematically he's not as impressive as some of the other offensive coordinators of big name programs i don't know that but um yeah suddenly he finds himself potentially on the on the hot seat who knows and and yeah clemson's looking at a very very unclemson year a year uh, uh down there at clemson that is unlike anything we've seen in at least 10 years. Yeah, and it, I mean, they've been so good that it's not like you're not allowed to have a three-loss season every now and then, um, but it, it turns up the pressure for next season, right? I mean, this is now, oh. the way college football works, this is now a lost season for Clemson. Like, yes. you're not making the playoff. You know, you, at, at this point, it, to some degree, it doesn't really matter what you do the rest of the way. I mean, there's there's some you know remaining bowl prestige, I guess, on the line, but I think it's all about how do you respond next season? And, you know, it, it, it's tough to, I think, take that mandate when, when you still have three quarters of a year left. But like you said, with the injuries, with, with the way that the quarterback has played, um, you know, it, it's been, it's been a, a certainly a disappointing season for Clemson, but I, I think you have to start looking forward if possible on the complete other end of the spectrum, John, we have the Arkansas Razorbacks who have climbed all the way up to number nine or excuse me, number eight in the latest poll. So they'll go up against number two, Georgia. Uh, that'll be a noon kick on ESPN on Saturday. Um, you know, they lose KJ Jefferson for a period in this game, uh, they essentially mm-hmm. just ran the ball every single time with him out of the game. He came back mm-hmm. in late, uh, played really well uh, before he left. Only had 15 attempts, but 212 yards on seven completions. Uh, a lot of chunk plays. Uh, Traylon yeah. Burks had an insane game uh, against Texas A&M, which, to be fair, A&M, you know, starting Zach Calzada at quarterback, not your prime guy. But I, this is still a quality win for an Arkansas team that, I mean, I'm, I'm still kind of in that mode where, like, Arkansas is absolutely terrible. And it, it kind of takes a while to, to break out of that that reputation, but man, I mean, like, like I said at the top, like this, this showdown with Georgia, even though the dogs are still almost three touchdown favorites, like this can't be a game that you're like super, super confident about. Yeah. I mean, Arkansas is definitely legit. Um, over, over the course of the week, I've kind of settled it. And, you know, upon seeing the line, I'd still like Arkansas to cover the, the 18 and a half. I think that's a crazy number. Um, but even still, I, I think that, yeah, Arkansas deserves that legitimate top 10, respect i think they're playing like a top 10 team they're, i mean their coordinators are awesome um i, I think they got kendall bryles on doing the offense and, and uh, barry odom on defense sam Pittman. how can you not like that guy that guy's awesome um and they have fun fun pieces you know like um i feel like Traylon burks you know if this is 10 years ago he's on the nick whalen like all-star team of, of like oh no question fun college. I mean, he's like so big. It doesn't even make sense that the way that he's able to move. It's 
unbelievable. So um, he's a lot of fun. This is, a, this is a really good team that they've obviously done extremely well against the pass so far this year. You can run on them a little bit. Um, I think that game looks even different and in, in more in favor of, of Arkansas last week if, um, if Jefferson doesn't ha- uh, get dinged up during the course of that one. But, yeah, I mean, Arkansas is legit. Um, Georgia definitely needs to play their, you know, what, what seems to be their, their best game of the season, especially now given what Clemson uh, has proven to be. Um, in order to win this one. So it, it is at home. It's at noon. Uh, kind of weird for a, a top 10 matchup, but that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah, this is going to be a great game. And I think Arkansas is definitely, you know, worthy of getting uh, the respect, even, even if they are um, fairly significant underdogs when, when you look at the actual board. Is this the top story of the college football season so far? Maybe other than, you know, team like Clemson struggling, which is more of a negative story, I think, than, than an actual story that you want to focus on. But, I mean, the reemergence of Arkansas as a top 10 team? I think so. Um, I you think know, you you look elsewhere and, and yeah, there there's a lot of um, – you can really nitpick some some bad out, you know, like, like we were talking about with Clemson, with Oklahoma. So as far as a good story – Oklahoma is that, or I'm sorry, Arkansas is that. And, and again, you know, like the ringleader being a guy like Sam Pittman, um, I think that that just like, it, it makes it so cool. And, you know, it's, a, it's just a, it's a fun, fun story. And, and, but I don't, I think that sometimes we can conflate fun stories with being like cute little flashes in the pan. Like this is something where Pittman is cooking mostly with, with Chad Morris's ingredients. Like we haven't even seen, uh, like the full Pittman effect, like getting all of his guys in there and being the, the main contributors uh, just yet. So um, there are even brighter days ahead, potentially. I mean, the West is always going to be really tough. And as long as Saban's there, you're, it almost feels like you're playing for second. But either way, man, like the, this is the start of, of you know, what, what could be one of the better eras in Arkansas football history. Iowa, uh, semi-comfortable victory over Colorado State, a very Iowa win, 24-14. Penn State cruises over Villanova, uh, 38-17. What's going on with Iowa State? Now 2-2, they lose to Baylor, 31-29. Brees Hall finally gets back on track uh, in this game, 27 for 190, two touchdowns on the ground, 51 yards and a touchdown through the air. But, man, I mean, you talk about a lost season for Clemson. I mean, this this one got away from Iowa State uh, very quickly. Yes, it, it really did. Um, and they, they don't really even have injuries to point to the way that A&M does. Because remember, when we were looking at the, at the futures right before the season, you had the top five. And then in, in sort of a tier of its own, what was Iowa State? And we were like, hmm, hmm, not so sure about that one. And I didn't think it would be, you know, a two-loss team in September, of course. I, I didn't buy them as a playoff contender or a viable playoff team if they were to make it, but I didn't think it would be like this. Um, you know, Iowa, losing to them obviously doesn't look bad at all. That Iowa's a really, really good team, and, you know, they've, they've kind of had Iowa State's number for a while now, but that Baylor game's a game you need to win. Like, Baylor has been better this year that, than I would have expected. They're, they're a different-looking Baylor team that, than what we've seen in years past, but they're good. Um, Iowa State needs to win that game, though, if they, if they fancy themselves as anything, you know, re- remotely resembling a top 10 team or, or you know, a, an elite program. You got to win those tough games on the road. And, and they obviously were unable to do that. And I yeah, I guess um, 
it's it's hard to really point out the exact problem with them, but it just feels like that there's a ceiling that they seemingly have met as of last year and like that they just aren't really progressing, which doesn't make sense given that they've brought back so much of their core. You know, you brought Purdy, Brees Hall, um, you know, Charlie Kohler, all these guys, and yet they they seem to not be getting better despite being, you know, further along in their careers. It makes very little sense. All right, let's turn our attention to the week five slate. Uh, we talked a little bit about Arkansas, Georgia. You said you like the dogs, uh, obviously straight up in that game, but you know maybe Arkansas to cover 18 and a half. Uh, please explain to me how Wisconsin is a two-point favorite against Michigan. I, I know the Wolverines struggled against a, a not great Rutgers team last season. I know they have some similar issues to Wisconsin, uh, maybe at the quarterback position, but I, how have we not learned our lesson with this so far? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, obviously, Barry Alvarez uh, is, you know, making influential bets uh, that, that are moving the lines in Vegas. So that, that's that can be the only. That's actually very possible. Um, no, but but for real, um, I don't understand how this line is what it is. Uh, I think Michigan's a very good team. I, I guess like to play devil's advocate, um, what Michigan's really good at is running the ball and Wisconsin's good at stopping the run. So, that I, you know, there is that element of if Michigan has to beat you with its quarterback, then maybe Michigan gets in trouble a little bit. And they, they obviously don't have Ronnie Bell anymore, the, the receiver who was hurt for the season in week one. So, that I mean, that takes away some of uh, that, that passing game upside. But even still, I, I think that over the course of an entire game, Michigan is going to be able to get that run established. And once they do that, they're really, really hard to beat. So... I like Michigan to win this one straight up uh, on the money line. I don't, again, understand how Wisconsin's favored. I think that Mertz is probably due for another terrible game and with a bunch of bad turnovers. Like you said, 16 turnovers against five ranked opponents thus far against uh, just two touchdowns. So that's pretty terrible. I can see the over, the over, the under is just, uh, or the total is just 43 and a half. So I think that's just low enough to where that this one pushes over. Um, but I do like Michigan on, on the money line here, and I I can't for the life of me really understand why Wisconsin's favored other than just being at home. I mean, if you like the over, then you think Michigan's going to score forty four points. So <laughs> I, I I'm just you can tell I'm I'm, uh, I'm beaten down by yeah, Wisconsin. Yeah, you're in a dark already. place, man. It's only been three games. We have, we even had a bye week already, and I'm just I'm at a loss. Uh, you know, even against Eastern Michigan, I didn't think they looked all that good. I mean, the difference between Mertz and McNamara is like McNamara is not committed a turnover yet you know he might not be able to go win you a game but he's not going to lose you a game Mertz mm-hmm. is extremely capable and has proven that on a, a number of occasions already that he is capable you know of losing you a game and I I think you know if he doesn't have that implosion at the end of the Notre Dame game you know maybe that looks a, a little bit better but I don't know I, mean, I think you have a comparable opponent in Michigan coming in and based on what we've seen against the two ranked teams that Wisconsin has played I, I don't know how you could expect anything else no, I don't either. Um, you know, it would it would require a complete, uh, you know, tiger changing its stripes type of thing exactly. from from Mertz. And, uh, you know, I, yeah, to, I can't I can't do the exact uh, leopard quote from Jim Leahy, but uh, it doesn't change its spots. I know what you're referencing. Um, yes. I will not say it either, but I think that's a, an incredible reference and extremely poignant given the circumstances. Uh, we get Cincinnati at Notre Dame. Notre Dame riding high off that win at Soldier Field. This is a 2.30 Eastern kickoff, uh, of course, on NBC, with it being a Notre Dame home game. Cincinnati favored on the road in this one. Seventh-ranked Cincinnati, uh, minus one and a half. 
we have no idea what's going on at quarterback. You know, Jack Cohen knocked out of that game against Wisconsin. Uh, that was the point at which I actually felt confident. It was still a game at that point. We're like, all right, you know, Notre Dame's backup quarterback, Tyler Buechner, was not available. You know, we're bringing mm-hmm. in the third string guy. Turned out Drew Pine was significantly better than, than what Wisconsin was rolling out. I, I thought he was actually really, really impressive and really confident in that game. You know, I, I figured he'd come in and would, they would just kind of try to manage it and, you know, maybe win by a score at the end. But they cut him loose. I don't think Wisconsin was prepared for him to be cut loose like he was. And, and I thought Drew, Drew Pine was really good. Um, Jack Cohn has, has been splitting reps with Pine this week. Uh, Buchner also preparing to potentially play. Uh, so we have a little bit of a mystery at, at quarterback for Notre Dame. But I would imagine, you know, if Jack Cohn is healthy enough come Saturday, he's probably back under center for this game. Right. Yeah. The, you have to assume that, um, you know, the way, the way that Brian Kelly talked, even like right after the game, uh, saying that that if if he's healthy, Jack Cohn's a starter, then you have to figure that that he will get the start. And I, I think he has earned that uh, for the most part. But yeah, that's not to take any anything away from Pine. And, and you know, if you're a Notre Dame fan, uh, especially in a when you're coming into a year post Ian Book, where you had some like serious continuity at quarterback, to really not having a, a clear idea of how things look in your quarterback room, you got to feel better about that after after seeing Cone go down and then Pine come in and answer the bell. I thought he had a lot of moxie um, going on, a lot a lot of chutzpah to, oh, to no his question. game. Yeah, it was yeah. chutzpah so, city. See, right, exactly, dude. Hutzpah in the Windy City. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was impressive stuff from, from him. But, uh, you know, when it comes to this actual game, I hate to be, like, the wettest blanket ever and, and um, to, like, side with the – do, like, the establishment side that is thinking that Notre Dame's going to win this game, especially when Cincinnati is, like, such a fun story and, and you know, that – they are the group of fives, like really their, their only hope at, at making a, the, a playoff. And, you, you know, especially when you consider that Clemson is, has removed itself from the equation, Oklahoma very well could, um, a handful of other, I mean, Ohio State has a loss, um, that type of thing. So the door would theoretically be open. This is, this is Cincinnati's last chance to really make a statement here. And I know they're favored on the road. But I just I think that over the course of 60 minutes, I think Notre Dame is going to have the talent. They, they also have, you know, Cincinnati's defensive coordinator from last year with all the intel in the world on, on, on how to slow that offense down uh, for for Cincinnati. And I think also, you know, I, I hate saying this, too, and I know they're coming off a bye and everything, but I thought they did not look good against Indiana. Like I was pretty underwhelmed by that performance and they they were slow out of the gate against an FCS opponent. If I remember correctly, a couple of weeks before uh, then as well. So I'm not sure that this Cincinnati team is really as, as electric as it was a year ago. I think it can be probably about as good. um, But I I think that Notre Dame ultimately is the better side here. And I I think they're going to win what's going to be a close and ugly game. My question to you, do you want Notre Dame to win? No. Or do you want the Cincinnati run to continue? I do. I, I think it I think Same it's here. fun. Um I think everyone everyone likes the whoever the best group of five team is, like uh, almost prohibitively. I, I guess Boise State doesn't doesn't always get like the the love of the public, but um yeah. Yeah. I mean whether it's uh, UCF a couple years ago or um you know that this particular Cincinnati team, the Cincinnati team was great last year. I I mean I I would like them to win. I guess I'm, I'm mostly impartial. I don't, I don't hate Notre Dame as much as most people, but um, I, I don't know. I, I would like to see Cincy win. 
and and keep this going and keep the pressure on the, on those um, blue blood teams up top to to keep winning for their own sake because Cincinnati's not going away. And you figure if you look at the rest of their schedule, uh, this would be the only game that really even feels like it's a toss up. But um, yeah, I, I just hope that this game is is entertaining at the least. I, I don't know if it will be, but um, you know, so, some some trading some barbs, some back and forth, uh, I would appreciate. If I'm Cincinnati, I'm bringing in Tony Pike to talk to this team. You know, do complete the job. Do what I could not do back in, <laughs> what was that, like 2008? Yes. Or, um, oh, uh, Gunnar Keel. Gunnar Keel, Zach Kalaros, Munchie Legault. I mean, the, Munchie Legault, dude. Munchie Legault is just like, he's what I identify like a Friday night AAC game as. Yes. It's just Munchie Legault. Yeah. Yeah, he he is like when I when I play NCAA football, it's like he's like what I imagine my quarterback as, like in real life. That's like I'm always trying to strive for someone who reminds me of, of Munchie Legault. Um, perhaps the highlight of, of the entire slate, and it, it's a good one on Saturday. Uh, but mid afternoon, we get this one on CBS. Uh, this is number twelve, Ole Miss going on the road at number one Alabama, Crimson Tide favored by just over two touchdowns, fourteen and a half over under of seventy nine. Uh, in this game. So we're expecting uh, the virtual opposite of the Wisconsin-Michigan game. Um, Matt Corral, very much in the Heisman race at this point. Bryce Young, you know, hanging around as well. Uh, Both these teams have been a lot of fun to watch, two of the best offenses in the country. Um, How do you see Ole Miss potentially hanging with Alabama? Um, I think that they are going to be able to hang with um, Alabama. I think that Ole Miss, like, they're the exact – offense that that you know Nick Saban like kind of alluded to it on, on Monday night when he came on with the Mannings um during Monday night football he's like you know they that's the type of offense that that has given us fits and I'm sure seeing a, a total this high has already like raised his blood pressure knowing that there's going to be that little defense played on Saturday but that's just the nature of the beast right now we've seen it between these two teams like Lane Kiffin can score on Alabama we saw it last year Matt Corral throwing for 365 yards that, that was really the the, the toughest test that Bama faced during the regular season, or maybe even at all last season, was that game against Ole Miss. This one being in Tuscaloosa, it makes me feel a little bit less confident that, that an upset can happen. But I definitely think that Ole Miss makes this an uncomfortable game for Alabama all the way through. And I think it's one where um, ultimately like, this, this game could be like a one-score game and it, with like Alabama having the ball uh, last trying to, you know, get it to a, a two-score game. I, I think that we're, we're going to see it trend in that direction. I like Ole Miss to cover. I like the under as well, just because that that total is just so ludicrously high. I think there will be maybe some modicum of defense, and maybe like that feels like a line that would have been set for last year's Ole Miss defense. This year's old Ole Miss defense is at least like passable. It's not a disaster the way it was a year ago. So I think it'll be slightly lower scoring closer but still like definitely the, the most electric game um of the weekend i mean we're gonna see four quarters of bryce young and and john mechie and and uh jameson williams all that good stuff and then on the on the other side you know Dontario drummond braylon sanders all you know with matt corral facilitating jerry on like there's so much fun players in this game i cannot wait i love that that's part of the narrative it's like alabama's gonna have to try it's gonna be yeah. awesome <laughs> <laughs> finally yeah, I, so I mentioned Corral and, and Bryce Young. Looking at the Heisman Trophy odds via the DraftKings Sportsbook, those guys are one and two. Corral plus 150, Bryce Young plus 180. 
there's a massive drop off. I mean, you, you go from those two down to Desmond Ritter at 15 to one Rattler, 25 to one JT Daniels, also 25 uh, Travion Henderson, 35. Um, I mean, if, if the vote were taken right now, it's essentially a two man race. I, I would bet that at least one or two more guys uh, make this a lot closer, you know, over the next eight, nine weeks. But um, in a year that, you know, a lot of the premier players have either just been okay or been slightly disappointing. Uh, it's been kind of a, a slightly uninspiring Heisman race so far. Yeah, it really has. I mean, like Bryce Young is there because he just doesn't have the blemishes that a lot, a lot of those other guys, like your Spencer Rattlers, do at this point. But I wouldn't say yeah. like Young had had the great first game, of course. I was taking that away from him, and he obviously played well against Southern Miss. But like he, he I wouldn't say that he's had really the the uh, the platform to have the Heisman moment yet. And um, I think Corral has, I mean, they both played national TV games against good, good ACC teams to start their season. But I think Corral on balance has been the more impressive player thus far. And, uh, you know, the, the winner of, of this game on Saturday will, will absolutely kind of be in the, in the driver's seat for the, for the Heisman discussion. And like you said, it's, it's a little bit slim pickings right now. We'll see who emerges in, in November, in October, and November, no one ever wins the Heisman just on, on September, you know, ask Saquon Barkley, but um, yeah, th- this is shaping up to be, you know, a great duel on Saturday. And we'll, we'll see if, uh, if Corral can have his Bo Wallace moment uh, on Saturday. Uh, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Auburn, LSU, Arizona State, UCLA. Those are the other games that stand out to me. Uh, we, we do get Indiana, Penn State. That's the late game on ABC. Uh, Penn State, a 12 and a half point favorite in that one. Um, which of those three or four, if you do include Indiana, Penn State, stand out to you most? Um, I'm, I'm interested in, in this, um, Auburn LSU game just because, um, you know, what's going on with Auburn. It seems like, you know, Brian Harson, first year coach there fires the receiver coach after what, three games, four games. Love it. Uh, Love that's that crazy. That's, that's some cutthroat stuff right there. You, you bench the golden boy, Bo Nix. Um, and then LSU transfer TJ Finley comes in and saves you from complete embarrassment again, against Georgia state. So does TJ Finley play against his former team? Do, do you get those revenge juices flowing on, on, on Saturday night um, in Death Valley? Like, I love a good Death Valley game. And, and you know, the, okay. this one, with, with it being LSU favored, uh, slight favorites, I, I'm expecting a, a fun, fun game there. I'm really excited about that one. I know that on paper, we're supposed to care about the Baylor-Oklahoma State game. And I think I do. But like, it's not going to be the fun Baylor Oklahoma State game that we're used to. Like, no, I think I know, you, you, I know. you see you see a total under fifty in that game, and you figure like, do both teams are they like not allowed to practice this week? Is there some sort of like condition that needs to be met? Are they playing on Mars? Like, how is this total under fifty? It's like both their offenses are kind of run yeah. heavy, and uh, both their defenses are kind of good now, and it's just like. It's disgusting is what it is. Come on. I'm, I am disgusted by it, man. Like I'm, this is, I'm not having fun. I'm straight up not having right. a good time. In my mind, I, I like, this is going to be like a 65 to 58 game. And I know that's not the case anymore, but I, it's, it's funny how that goes in cycles. Like I think a lot of people were so critical. Like, Oh, the big 12 doesn't play any defense. Now I miss when the big 12 didn't play defense. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. Now, like, you know, like we had like kind of like, run this giant psyop on, on the big 12 that their brand of football was wrong. Meanwhile, the sec completely steals it. And <laughs> we have Alabama playing in a game with a total sitting at just next to 80. 
Yeah, I, I mean, it's again, it's disgusting. I don't want to talk about it. I mean, the you know the days of Justin Blackman and and Des Bryant and Adarius Bowman and Corey Coleman, they may be long gone, at least for the time being. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, pour one out, I guess, man. It's yeah, it's troubling it's stuff. Um, before we get before we get into DFS for this week, um, I, I want to talk about a a topic that's near and dear to my heart. It's a a blatant ripoff of something that uh, Matt Norlander. And Gary Parrish did on the CBS College Basketball podcast a few weeks ago, um, and they, you know, as, as people are wont to do in the middle of the offseason, just kind of did a, a random discussion of who are the twenty, or I guess it was the ten most famous college basketball players since two thousand. So essentially, the last twenty years, and we're not talking the best players or the best players who went on to great NBA careers, but the most famous, how well when they were in college. And it was a really interesting discussion. I, I went back and forth with some buddies. We made our own list, you know, for college basketball. I thought it'd be really fun, John, if we we drafted up a list of college football players for that same topic. Yes, absolutely. I think it's a very rich vein uh, of, you know, just like really fun guys. And like the way that you have it framed there, I think is, is perfect, where it's just like, it doesn't matter if they ended up going on to, to great things necessarily. It's just like, you think back to, the fall of 2012, and it's like, man, like Johnny Football could do no wrong. And Johnny yes. Football was the coolest guy on earth. And like, I was, a, we were like, what, juniors in college? So like, that's like the prime time to to be a Johnny Manziel appreciator. So, like, so like, yes, it, I just like, I, I, I think of just the sheer like. It felt like his fame transcended what what we saw from even a Cam Newton or even, even a Tim Tebow or, or almost even a Reggie Bush. I think Reggie Bush and, and Vince Young are probably my, my one and two. But w- when it came to Manziel, he was like this larger-than-life figure. He goes into Tuscaloosa. He beats Alabama. This is A&M's, what, their first year in the SEC. He's like, you know, this little guy just running around, but just an, a cold-blooded assassin out there. He's real obnoxious. Uh, he's mm-hmm. doing crazy stuff off the field. He's got some kind of shady family history. Uh, it's just, it's, he's the most like perfect character for this like larger than life persona that obviously kind of led to his demise um, for, for lack of a better word. I think but, that's fair to say. Um, but at the same time, man, like to me, jo- Johnny just really holds that mantle. Like he he's on, like if we're uh, scaling this to a Mount Rushmore instead of a top 10, then Manziel's on that for me. Absolutely. I think the, the list starts with Manziel. Um, I, I think Tim Tebow is the other guy that has to be like in that top two. And, and I made a list of, I, I narrowed it down to my top 10 and then I had of 24 other guys who I thought were at least patient. <laughs> um, so do you want me to read you my top 10 and, and you can, you can let me know if you have any qualms, please. All right. So this is in no order. And again, this is 2000 ish to 2021. I will admit, I, you know, 2000 to like 2003 is a little bit of a, a blind spot for me because I was like 10 years old. Um, but I, I tried to, to be as inclusive as possible. So here's my 10. Tim Tebow, Reggie Bush, Vince Young, Cam Newton, Johnny Manziel, Robert Griffin III, Terrell Pryor, Jadavian Clowney, Baker Mayfield, Adrian Peterson. I think... I, if I were if I were to remove one guy from that list, it, it's probably Terrell Pryor, and there there could be some um, some of the bias that we tried to remove from it, um, clouding this a little bit, just because you know he didn't end up 
really even playing quarterback at, at the NFL level or, or in, in stuff like that. But he was like, he was a huge deal. And obviously he was part of, you know, the, the tattoo thing at, at Ohio state, if I remember correctly. So that, that gives him some like, you know, added fame mm-hmm. for sure. Um, I think I might just based on how, um, how much he was able to live up to his unbelievable hype. I, I would probably swap in Trevor Lawrence for, for Terrell Pryor. Okay. Um, but at, at the same time, like if, um, if, if you would actually, you know, I, I'm, I'm casting aspersions at this. What, what, what in your mind makes Terrell Pryor stick in that top 10? I think part of it is uh, that was like the peak of my obsession with college football. You know, it's like, this is like just before I had like a cell phone even. So it's like when I was on a Saturday in high school, it's like, I had nothing going on. I was sitting down and watching every single minute of college football from 11 AM until midnight, you know? So I feel Mm -hmm. like I watched every single one of Terrell Pryor's games and and honestly, when I was making this list, the thing that that kind of broke the tie, and, and Terrell Pryor was uh, one of the last guys I included. So I, I don't think you're wrong to suggest that you know there's there are other options. But I remember where he went to high school, Jeanette, Pennsylvania. I don't remember the high school for anyone else on this list. Like I remember he was that big of a deal at the time, at a time when like you were you kind of had to be in the weeds to to care about recruiting that much. And it was like I, I like at that point in time, you know, like I, I wasn't like a frequenter of like two, four, seven sports. Like I am now, it's like, you really had to dig for that kind of information. And I felt like Terrell Pryor was a big enough deal that even like the average college football fan had heard about this guy in high school and, you know, his high school games were on ESPN. Like he was, and there's been a lot of players like that, you know, Fournette, Trevor Lawrence, certainly in that category. Um, You know, a lot of guys have come through, but like he, he, for some reason was on like a slightly higher tier uh, as far as like the hype that he had coming into college. That, that's such a great point. Like I, I do like now that you mentioned it, like in my mind's eye, I'm, I'm sitting in my mom's basement. And uh, as opposed to now, when I sit in my mom's basement, but I can like distinctly remember ESPN, like stopping programming or uh, yeah, like cutting away from sports center to like announce that like, you know, some kid, you know, they're showing like grainy footage of some, some kid just like running over 12 other guys um, and they're like, yes, Terrell Pryor is going to Ohio State. This is a very big deal. And I really like I was like, wow, that's kind of crazy. Like, I've, I feel like I've never seen that before. And, and you know, now they're talking. So that that definitely tracks as far as as um, this discussion is concerned. And then Clowney, he was I mean, I guess 2012 must have really been my kind of like heyday or, or like really truly like getting the full lay of the land for college football because Clowney, you know, he was the number one recruit the year prior. Uh, South Carolina was so good in 2012 that um, I remember going to South Carolina versus Georgia up in Columbia. And uh, I know like the famous line comes from like the Auburn or the Alabama blackout game against Stafford, where it's like they're wearing black because they're going to their own funeral. It felt like Georgia was going to their own funeral that day. And it was a hundred percent because of Jadavion Clowney. Like, yeah, I was just, I mean, he was the most terrifying dude on the field. I know it, 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 again, hasn't worked out quite the same in the NFL. He's had some injuries and everything like that. But that season, dude, I mean, the, the guy was just an alien. Like, you could not slow him down. Like, uh, you know, that was the same season that, that ended up with, with Michigan uh, or playing Michigan in that Citrus Bowl. And the hit, you know, took place yes. that, that season. Like, Clowney, like, that, like, elevated him from, like, superstar to to – you know, that transcendent level that, that makes him very, very worthy of being on this list. No, for sure. I, I only have one other defensive player 
on my my list of 34 guys. Do you think you could guess who that is? I believe I can. And I think that this guy not only belongs on, on your top 34, but potentially even top 10, the Honey Badger. Ooh. Oh, excuse me. I have two more. That's not who I was thinking of. He is also on the list. But no, I had, I had one other one. It was Andamakan Sue. Okay. He would, like, he definitely is a totally different cat. Like, he, you know, for him to, like, basically be in the Heisman discussion as a defensive lineman, I, I like, right. I would see that every single week on SportsCenter, but never watch Nebraska play because I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. But, yes. You know, you see the the clips of him just manhandling people, and you're like, "Dang! Like this guy's, like he's mm-hmm. he's like a football like thinking man's uh, entry onto this list because yeah, he he was just like that head and shoulders above anyone else. I, you know, my my other guest could have been Aaron Curry though. Oh sure, <laughs> Wake Forest, <laughs> right? Number four pick. Yeah, yeah. I he's I feel like I just remember him for being a massive bust in the NFL, but. Yes. No, I mean, I, I didn't put Sue in the top 10 because I don't think he was ultimately all that famous. I, I think he, people just knew of him as like this otherworldly guy, but Nebraska just wasn't that relevant at the time. Um, right. like he didn't have the hit like Clowney. Like I, I think Sue is, was the better player perhaps even than Clowney in college. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, he just wasn't on as, as relevant as a team. So if you're talking fame, I, I think he's a step down. Totally agreed on the Honey Badger. I, I think he was he was one of my first omissions uh, maybe could even take like the Adrian Peterson spot because you know, AP only played a couple of years um, and, and obviously had plenty of other star talent around him. Um, do you want me to read the other names that I have in contention? Please fire them off. Okay. Man. I'll try to go quickly. This, this probably doesn't make for like the greatest listening experience, but uh, in no order, again, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Trevor Lawrence, Deshaun Watson, Jameis Winston, Matt Leinert, Carson Palmer, Michael Crabtree. That's a, that's a personal favorite. Oh, yeah. Saquon Barkley, Denard Robinson, Tua, Brady Quinn, Leonard Fournette, Darren McFadden, Christian McCaffrey, Marcus Mariota, Percy Harvin, Julio Jones, Andrew Luck, Todd Gurley, Maurice Claret, and Colt Brennan. That's a phenomenal list. That's a, those are all guys that, that definitely deserve that, that recognition. It's hard to really find much in the, in the way of, of omissions on, on that, honestly. Um, what A defender who I think, like, it, I don't know if – it was right that he was as famous as he was, but like I think of a couple of linebackers. I feel like AJ Hawk got way too much. <laughs> yeah. Like, am I that wrong in that? I, it, he was like dating Brady Quinn's sister or something, yeah. and she had the famous like jersey. I feel like yeah. um, I think James Laurinaitis like, is in that that same category. He, yes, yes. He he um, you know AJ Hawk walked so, so Laurinaitis could run or or whatever, mm-hmm. and then um. Uh, Manti Teo, I think, is also uh, very, very famous. Um, obviously, yep. not for for reasons that he would like to be anymore. But um, you know, he, I guess, 2012 was a weird enough year to where like he was a, a, in Heisman contention, and then he, he was mean, a finalist. He was a finalist, man. Yeah, honestly, you know, you're right. Manti Teo, Manti Teo belongs on this list. He's he, I, that's a that's an absolute omission by me. So that that's that, those were the two like guys as, as you were going through um, that that I would say warranted that that consideration. But otherwise, I think uh, top notch job. And, and uh, I think like CJ Spiller was also like super electric in college too. Yeah. Um, did, I don't know if he if he made that list or not, but um, but he he's that's more of like a you know we're, we're talking about the like the last spot or two on this list versus like you know someone who's in the top ten. 
Right. I, part of me, I, I really wanted to include Pat White and Steve Slayton just as one entity. <laughs> I don't think either of them, either of them individually, like they weren't famous enough, but together, I think they were. I, I think that's fair. I think everyone remembers those guys very, very fondly. Everyone remembers that, that West Virginia team very fondly. So, um, yep. and they were, you know, the, they were doing stuff that no one else was doing. They were so, is unbelievable. They were so, so much fun. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, the, the committee will make an exception here and, and allow them to be entered in as one entity. Yeah, they'll, they'll get the Noel Divine uh, exception on this list. Uh, let's preview the DFS slate, John. Uh, so before we get into, you know, quarterback, running back, and pass catchers as usual, uh, any games you're targeting, any games you're staying away from? Um, so the, the games to, to target, obviously, um, the, the Ole Miss-Alabama game is, is going to be the chalk. It's going to be the one that, that gets the most. Uh, Alabama has like a shockingly high um, implied total, especially compared to the rest of the board. Like they're checking in at 46.75. The next highest team is Wake Forest against Louisville. So like that, that goes to show you just how much uh, – Vegas expects Bama to, to score. So obviously Bama exposure or lack thereof is going to be a big part um, of your DFS builds on, on Saturday. Do you want to just dive in with both feet and, and go ahead, have that stack that has Bryce Young, Jameson Williams, uh, Jaleel Billingsley. It looks like he's kind of back on the scene. He was in the doghouse, the proverbial uh, Nick Saban doghouse earlier in the year, but he's played his way out of it. Uh, he's 3,600 crazy talented guy i mean a tight end that 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 used to run kicks back that's that's rare that's that's not something that normally happens so like the bama exposure is going to be key and then of course on the other side of that game with with, you know matt corral and and their uh bevy of receiving options that they're going to be um someone that that's drawing a lot of exposure as well but my my interest kind of uh then it comes to the TCU Texas game and the Wake Forest Louisville game. I I don't quite understand how M- the Missouri Tennessee game has this high of a total. I guess the defenses are so bad on both sides. So Missouri has cheap receivers for sure, and Tennessee doesn't really have anyone that that's too expensive. Missouri has an awesome running back, especially for for DFS in, in Tyler Beatty. Guy catches passes and he's super super effective at, as a as a runner as well so he's someone that you're gonna have to consider but um i think if i'm fading from the bama Ole miss chalk basically and 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 pivoting to loading up on something else i think i think something happened important last week with texas i think that like the sark wheel the sark machine is like fully powered now like they've stopped their little song and dance with, with the quarterback situation it's casey thompson um, Xavier Worthy, the freshman receiver, seems to have arrived. Bijan Robinson has arrived and, and been there, and he's just he's so electric, it's crazy. And then on the other side, TCU, they just gave up a ton of points to SMU, and they also have uh, this kid Zach Evans who has arrived as well. So you have two, arguably the best running backs in in the conference, let alone the country. Uh, squaring off in this one with Evans and, and Bijan. So like, that's going to be a really, really fun game. That's where um, I'm going to have a good amount of DFS exposure. All right, let's go position by position quarterbacks. Unsurprisingly, the game with the over under of 79 points, uh, Bryce Young, $10,000, Matt Corral, 9,200, uh, two of the higher priced options on this slate. Malik Cunningham, of course, at Louisville uh, in the middle there at 9,500. 
Uh, you got Max Dugan, you got Spencer Rattler, you got you know plenty of other options. Casey Thompson going up against TCU. Uh, where are you leaning at the QB position this week? Um, so I, I think Corral probably starts things off for me at 9,200. Um, you know, he obviously both guys, both him and Young, are, are players that you can use um, to to stack things up. Um, so it, it makes sense to go with with either. I'm sure that there there's going to be a path to making a lineup where you use Bryce Young and Matt Corral, and then you know just kind of figure out the rest. Maybe get a pass catcher from both. Maybe not the premier pass catcher from both, but um, just because of the salary constrictions, but I'm sure that, that that's going to be like a very like popular, like kind of core. Um, we're going to see a lot of lineups with, with some variation of a corral and young. So for, for GPP considerations, um, they might not be the, the guys that differentiate you. But again, when you, when you look at the total as high as this one, uh, fading, it could put you at risk of just falling behind the rest of the field before like the rest of your stuff um, gets rolling. So um, just keep that in mind from like a game theory perspective. Um, I'm not interested in the, in the Ohio State um, quarterback situation. I think C.J. Stroud's going to be the guy, but Rutgers is feisty. It's on the road. I'm, I'm just not going to bother with that one. Um, Casey Thompson, like, like I kind of alluded to, um, is going to be, I think, where I start to pivot things a little bit. Cunningham is going to be, um, I feel like, have a very reasonable roster percentage. Like I, I could see him being under 20% just because so much of the oxygen is being sucked up by, by Young and Corral. And, and you, you look at him just kind of sandwiched in between the two of them. I think that we're going to see him get, get under rostered on, on Saturday. So I'm interested in, in him as well. He can obviously get it done with his arm um, and his legs. Um, Connor Bazelak, um, a guy who throws the ball a lot for, for Missouri. I don't know if you really want to dive in with both feet necessarily, but again, he is someone that, um, again is playing in that game that has the second highest total on the board. I don't think you can completely ignore that game, even if it is kind of an ugly one. I mean, no one, like there's no real national relevance right now in, in a Tennessee Mizzou game, but there, Vegas says there's going to be points. And I, I think you need to, to keep that in mind as well. So that those are kind of like the, my, my reads um, on the quarterback situation and JT Daniels, he's playing four quarters, which I assume he will 7,200 is, isn't bad for him. Um, and Keaton Slovis all the way down to 7,100. Jackson Dart, I believe, is going to be out. And Colorado stinks. They really stink. So um, uh, I think that uh, SCs should be able to put up some points. And I think uh, Slovis would be the one that, that kind of fuels it. All right, looking at the running backs. Bijan Robinson, unsurprisingly, at the top of the list, 8,700. 30-plus uh, fantasy points in three of his four games so far. Uh, he's been among the most consistent backs in the entire country. Um, yeah, it, it's tempting for me to look down Trayvon Henderson all the way down at 6,600. Had a, a fine game against Akron. It certainly did not replicate the 50-plus DraftKings point game uh, that he had against Tulsa. Uh, but to me, that's a pretty appealing price for a guy with that kind of upside. Yeah, no, that that's absolutely true. I mean, um, yeah, Henderson is – just ridiculous. Yeah. And Ohio state didn't really need to do a ton last week to, to get things done against Akron, you know, who's kind of one of the worst teams in all of uh, college football period. Um, I think when you, when you look at, at this uh, running back board, of course, like you said, uh, Bijan Robinson, I, I mentioned Tyler Beatty um, at 8,200. I'm interested in whoever is getting the, the ball the most, for Tennessee's backfield. And I think it might be Tyon Evans. I hope I'm not butchering his name too much, but 
Uh, last week, one of the one of the big keys to the to the main slate last week was loading up on Pat Garwo, the running back for Boston College, because Missouri is that bad against the run, and he ran all over them, over 150 yards. I think he had two touchdowns. Um, so we, we run into a situation here where, where at both Tyon Evans and Jabari Small, um, they are the clear-cut guys who are getting the ball out of that Tennessee backfield. Evans averaging a little bit more per carry, um, 5.02 yards per carry, a little bit more involved in the passing game with, with six targets as well. So Evans would be my lean. I think both Evans and Small see a good amount of work here. And, and you know, maybe maybe even if you wanted to counterpoint me and, and go with uh, one of those running quarterbacks for Tennessee, wh- whether it's Hendon Hooker or if Joe Milton's back, that could be a, a way too. because it, the more that we the more that I, I go on here and unspool my DS, DFS thoughts, the more I'm, I'm like grossly intrigued by this Tennessee, Missouri game. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is certainly one way to describe it. Uh, I think that's an accurate way to describe it. Uh, looking at the receivers, Drake London on a tier all by himself at the top. He's at 8,500, the next highest price. Uh, Alabama's Jamison Williams at 7,700. Uh, London, obviously an appealing matchup against Colorado team. Um, how do you make sense of, of Jamison Williams, Dontario Drummond, John Mechie, uh, that group of pass catchers in that Alabama old Miss game? I, I assume you want to have at least some exposure to that. Right, exactly. So I, I think first of all, um, I'm a little bit worried on, on Jamison Williams. Like, obviously, he just had the unbelievable performance uh, last week with all those 80 uh, yard touchdowns. Uh, he's been crazy on on a per target basis this year, 14.2 yards per target. You you juxtapose that against John Mechie, who's only averaging eight yards a target, which is pretty surprising for a guy as good as he is, and you know, kind of build as, as that next uh, wide receiver one for Alabama. He's getting the most targets, though, and I think that we haven't seen Mechie's best just yet this year, and he's got at least seven targets in each game this year. I think he's going to push for a new season high as far as the targets are concerned. Um, so for a slight um, you know, uh, discount, he's 600 less um, against your salary on DraftKings than Jamison Williams is. I think that's a, a nice start. I, I think that at the same time, um, that's – going to be a fairly chalky position to have. I think a lot of people are going to see that Williams is more expensive. They know who Mechie is, maybe even a little bit more, and they'll probably be a little bit more inclined to go with Mechie. But that, that's how I would go about attacking that 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 top tier of the um, Alabama passing game. And then um, I think when it comes to the, the Ole Miss one, uh, Drummond would be the guy. Um, but pretty much you can't go wrong. Like if, Drummond and Mingo both average at least eight – eight targets per game and both are averaging over 12 yards per target. Um, Braylon Sanders has been good in his own right as well. Not, not quite um, like otherworldly as those other two guys. And he only has 14 targets through three games, but he's gotten at least four targets in each game. Um, Sanders has 14 uh, targets, eight catches, 133 in, in a pair of touchdowns. Like if, if, if you wanted to, you know, to borrow the quote for, from Andrew Laird, who does the NFL DFS podcast, if you want to get different. I think Sanders uh, might be the way of, of going about it because he's just down at 4,800 for the Rebs. How do you feel about Traylon Burks? We talked about him earlier. He's a little bit banged up, should play in this game, um, but you know, battling some general soreness, which you don't see a ton in football, more of a baseball designation, but he's down at 5,600. I mean, we're talking combined 58 fantasy points on nine catches over his last two games. Uh, obviously the price reflects the difficulty or the increase in difficulty in defense that he's going up against, but 
I mean, in a game, you know, against Texas A&M, it's not like they piled up a ton of points. I mean, he had 167 yards and a touchdown on six catches in that game. He also has a few carries on the year. Um, would you be talking to Traylon Burks or, or is the defense of the dogs a little too tough? I think the defense is, is too good. And I, I, I promise you, I'm not saying this with, with Georgia Bulldog colored sunglasses on. Like, I just think that Georgia's defense empirically is the best in the country. Uh, we have Arkansas. If you sort by expected score on our, on our DFS, like our, our matchup info page, Arkansas checks in as, with an implied total of 15 here. So again, like you said, Arkansas didn't pile up a ton of points and it still led to, to Burks having um, a, a good day uh, last Saturday. I just don't think that that 80 yard touchdown is really on the table against Georgia, the way it was against AM. And obviously AM was a top 10 pass defense going into last weekend. He can make plays like that. I'm not denying that, but I think that KJ Jefferson is in for a long day. And by extension, I, I think that we're going to have trouble seeing Burks get, get going. And I think I could also see, Georgia, I mean, there's only so much you can do to, to slow down a guy as big as Burks is, but they're going to do everything in their power to, to make those secondary pieces of the Arkansas passing game be the ones that, that hurt them. I think they're going to they're going to start things off by, by uh, taking Burks off the table. Um, if you wanted to, to get some exposure to that game, however, um, Jermaine Burton's down to just 5,400. I know he hasn't had a ton of targets just yet, but he's been efficient with those targets. He's the best X receiver that, that Georgia has. Um, so, you know, playing on the outside, he's really, really good. And, and so 5,400, if you expect Georgia to score a bunch of points on Saturday, he should be part of it. And then a guy that we haven't talked about yet, Nick, but um, he's already like attaining folk hero status in, in Athens. Brock Bowers. Are you familiar? Oh, yeah. Oh, buddy. The guy is just a like a bully on the field. Like he's a true freshman. Had all those catches against Clemson week one. Uh, got like a goal line carry, if I remember correctly, last week against Vanderbilt. Like just completely a a problem, uh, apparently. So I, I think that, um, you know, he's someone that, that I'm looking for. And it's it's pretty clear that Georgia is going to keep him like highly, highly involved in the passing attack. So uh, keep an eye for him. Um, I'm looking also, again, if we're talking Texas, Looking at that passing game, I do like Xavier Worthy. Um, the freshman, you know, he has three touchdowns in last week's game over Texas Tech. Um, the, the price is reasonable. It's not, nothing um, too crazy. He's down at 6,200. So that that's like a totally viable way of, of getting um, – you can do a Thompson-Worthy stack for, for pretty cheap. And then um, it's boring, but it's not that boring. Michael Meyer, I think that he's like the, the kind of guy that shows the difference in, in like overall – athletes that, that Notre Dame has versus Cincinnati. I think that there, he's just going to be a huge matchup problem uh, for the Bearcats. I think the, we're going to really see Meyer get unleashed in this one. And he's, he's down, uh, his price is down a little bit after a couple of weeks where he didn't uh, dominate. So I like him as well. All right, my friend, looking forward to another exciting week in college football. Um, we got Jags Bengals tonight. I'm pumped for that. Uh, your Ravens are on an incredible run of just extremely entertaining games. Yes. Right now. <laughs> it's going to be a fun weekend. I, yeah, I can't, I can't believe it. I'm still like, I'm still in disbelief on, on the, uh, on that Justin Tucker kick. And it, so, someday I think like the, the Broncos can make a game a little bit more boring. So I'm expecting a little bit more of a boring game this week, but we'll see. We shall see. I, I still like, 
I think people are maybe going to jump off the Ravens a little bit because they had such a struggle against Detroit, but they should have won that game by two touchdowns. If, if Marquise Brown has even like a slightly below average game, they win comfortably. I think so too. Um, and I, I think also, you know, that this shouldn't happen in the, in the NFL, but coming off of the emotional win of, of finally beating the chiefs, um, I think it was pretty clear to me that, that, thinking the Ravens were going to win that game by eight and a half points or whatever Vegas had the line at was way too rich. Like there, there was going to be a bit of a letdown in play there on, on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Detroit's been extremely frisky by terrible yes, teams. Standards. Like they've, they've fought hard in every single one of these games. Yeah. They, yeah. The Campbell's boys do not quit. They certainly do not. All right, man. Best of luck to the dogs. Uh, I mean, send whatever for the Badgers. I don't, I don't even know what to expect <laughs> at this point. Uh, luckily, I have another wedding on Saturday, so I'll, I'll. Unfortunately, it's not until after the game, um, so it's either going to set me up for like a, an explosive celebration when they win, or just a, a big time depression. Uh, it's a college buddy's wedding too, so like if the Badgers get blown out by thirty, it's just going to be like a sob fest at this wedding of, of everybody oh, complaining. Oh man, bold move on on his part, getting married on Badger Saturday, but you know, uh, yeah, things happen. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.